from Grundahl. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallo Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Justified Cultures, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly racing, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, Maxima USA, Moto Ice Wrap, 100% Goggles, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Justified Cultures. You can go to justifiedcultures.com right now and enter discount code BIGMX17 to receive 30% off your purchase. I'm your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line is uh, Paul Lindsay, who uh, we're going to break down the, the 250s and 450s from both Anaheim 1 and San Diego. Paul, how's it going? I am doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, thank you for uh, for accepting the call, my friend. I uh, love to do uh, post-race interviews or post-race uh, review, sort rather, uh, with a guy like yourself, a man who's seen uh, his fair share of supercrosses uh, on not only in this continent, but uh, all over the globe. Yeah, I've been pretty blessed, man. I, I uh, And again, I appreciate you thinking of me. I, you know, Like I was telling you off the air, I haven't really done a lot in the industry the last... Uh, year, year and a half, I guess, other than a few commentating and announcing gigs here and there. I've been kind of at home a lot, which is nice. But the wife and kids are liking that, and i got to admit I like it too, being home. But uh, like I was telling you, it's, uh, I've had a pretty pretty good career, pretty blessed. I've had my time and, and had my run. I've got to live my dream multiple times over as a rider, as a team manager, and as a TV guy, if you will. And uh, I'm just like I was telling you, like I said, off the air, just the magic is slowly coming back to me. When you get a, you get a dream job, you know, it's still cliche. The magic sort of leaves because you're looking behind the curtain and you're <laughs> dragging bags on and off an airplane every week. And it can get old. It's just a job at the end of the day. But when you're away from it, as long as I've been now, first time in 20 years or so that I've been home this long, I, I'm uh, finding myself just being that geeky, little kid fan again excited to watch the race on tv on saturday night and breaking down stats and points and everything that i like to do being the, the stat geek that i am so yeah i'm really enjoying it and yeah i appreciate again you have me on so looking forward to doing some bench racing with you no doubt bench racing is the name of the game and the two of us are uh let's be honest pretty good at it uh i'm I trying was... to get my pro car bench racing and i got a mark out of the amateurs the bench racing association, but I'm trying to get back into the pro class. <laughs> wow, I, th- I think you're uh, you, you should be grandfathered in as uh, as a, a bit of a legend in that you've uh, you've spent enough t- time hanging around tailgates talking about uh, who would have done what if they had 
this in their program or that or program or who's uh, who's wasting that ride or which whichever. But uh, um, it's great to have yeah. you. On. And um, but uh, before we get to San Diego, we skipped around, man. We uh, we one week late with all of this, so let's break down the uh, Anaheim one a little bit. Really simple track, uh, like wasn't challenging the riders technically, but it, uh, it it challenged them in a way to make up time where there really wasn't space to do so. It was a, it was a, a one minute lap time. Just about everyone was in around the same second. Uh, in fact, all the way back through the top tw- over over t- over the top twenty qualifiers, they were only separated by about five seconds. Uh, a, all the way back throughout the the, the fast forty. So uh, tell us a little bit yep. about what you saw watching that race from the couch. Well, I tell you, the the thing that stuck out to me as always, and I've been traced this about this with my friends is you know in, in qualifying, you can throw a blanket pretty much over the top eight ten guys when when you can go into a race and have eight or ten guys qualify on the same second basically or within one one point two seconds. That's uh, that's obviously parity. That's what we're looking for, and that's been happening. Uh, and then uh, the, the big thing that stuck out to me that I think a lot of people miss, and getting back to the track for a second, you're right. I mean, the, we had the new time thing, so I think uh, the dirt works crew and, and the belt guys wanted to be real careful. They never want to put too challenging of a track, but not too easy of a track at the opening round. There's obviously varying opinions on, on that that we won't get into, but it was fairly basic. They had the, uh, you know, as RC pointed out on TV, both weeks now with rain and the plastic that covers the track, it salvages the track, but what happens a lot of times, as RC pointed out, and if you've ever been on track walk, which uh, good for you, by the way, congratulations getting to go out there and yeah. you know be in the trenches and see these guys and talk to these guys and see what's going on. And it's a big difference from watching at home. But you, you, you'll see when you go, you know, this weekend or God forbid it hopefully doesn't do it again. But the last two weeks, that rain, it gathers on the, the plastic in between the jumps, makes it really soft. And there's not a lot they can do about that. It makes those transitions super curvy. And for me personally, remembering as a rider i hated it it was really an awkward feeling going through a rhythm section and getting your wrist snapped on those curbs it, it throws off your rhythm it throws off your momentum and it, it's, it's downright sketchy in my opinion so i i did notice that worse this week than last week but that was uh definitely as you also mentioned off not it wasn't a track you could over race this week either uh, mainly because of that i think the the rhythm sections were all pretty similar the way they were doing them uh they had to fix that one section where Jeremy Martin just had that horrific crash. My God, that was crazy. That, that was so, I, so crazy. I actually missed Thank that. God I nobody was, was uh, hitting the triple right then. That was insane. If somebody had been hitting the triple, obviously they, somebody went by right before yeah, him. But before. if somebody had been tapped, you know, second, grabbing third, whatever, wide open, that would have been really ugly right there. I mean, for, for both riders, for Jeremy and the guy hitting the triple. So totally, it was no, one of those been... weird moments. But, yeah, they fixed that and. You know, it was, uh, I thought it was two, two good tracks. You know, the timed, uh, the new timed uh, racing that we're having is interesting. I don't know if you caught the, uh, the laps, you know, they went 20, the 450s went 24 laps this week. Yeah. And the 250s went 18 laps. And as you know, you know, these guys as riders, I, I didn't get a chance to watch a press conference and if they talked about it, but it's maybe the same time overall. You know, we looked at that preseason. We each and those guys got into it, Matt, that's about, you know, the average time length in time of a main event being similar, you know, 18 minutes, 19 minutes, 20 minutes, it's all going to be relatively close anyhow. But when you're doing 24 laps or specifically in the 250, doing 18 laps, it feels like a damn long time. I mean, those guys are counting the laps in their head. They're training for that usually. And whether it's the same time, whether it was a 
15 minute main event, 15 minute, 22 seconds last year and 15 minute, 32 seconds this year, whatever it worked out to be, I didn't look at that, but 18 laps is 18 laps. And, and you saw a couple guys fade and a couple guys starting to make mistakes. Even Macarab said it was, it was all or nothing. He was kind of just laying it out there and felt like he was going to lose it a couple of times. And, uh, I mean, anybody that's raced knows that feeling. It was definitely looked like a brutal 18 laps is what I'm getting at. And, totally. and the same in the four fifties and Dungey was able to stock, uh, rocks in there. I'm kind of jumping ahead, obviously to San Diego, but, uh, back to Anaheim, it was, it was similar at least at Anaheim because they did 20 laps and 15 laps. So it was right on the money of what they wanted because a lot of times are right around a minute, like you said. Uh, and I thought it was interesting, you know, the heat races even went up a lap this week too. There were seven laps each as, as opposed to six laps in the past. So it seemed a little longer to me as well. So it's just something interesting to keep an eye on as the year passes, as the season goes on, if there's ever going to be any weird sort of, uh, glitches in that new system, like the one that stands out to me is if you have a, a heat race, that's, uh, I think Roxon and Tomac last week were four seconds apart or something like that in their heat rate times. Uh, what if that four seconds was the difference between the clock hitting zero and they had to put in an extra lap or something and did eight laps in one heat and seven in the point. other or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd be the end of the world, but it's just, it's odd, you know, stuff like yeah, that, that could pop up throughout the season. So, Especially through qualifying. You know. I never really thought about that because, yeah, the race would be like an entire minute longer uh, mm-hmm. it, just based on the fact that, like, say if, uh, if, if Tomac's laps were, he was a... Yeah, like the, over a five seconds. If it's one second, you could easily uh, you find, yeah. find that five seconds difference. That's that, that's something I did not think about. One thing I did uh, think about, and I was talking to Aaron Plessinger about, is that, and he he kind of agreed, is that um, if you have a, a track that doesn't have a lot of uh, places to pass. Uh, a timed main event rather than uh, uh, just a straight up lap times main event uh, could very well and came out this weekend in San Diego that uh, you're going to hit that same uh, passing spot more times throughout the throughout the race than you would if it was just 15 laps. Uh, so sure 15 enough. plus 50, if, if there's like only one spot on the track, you're going to hit it 18 times rather than 15 times with that same, uh, with two, the two different main events with the same track. So, uh, that opportunity, uh, there's not those, some of those guys out there that they, they're struggling to make passes. They'll be able to, to have three more opportunities to make a pass rather than the 15. So I, I thought that was something. Well, that, and conversely, uh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting too. But for me, just for the record, I, you know, I'm a traditionalist. Uh, I kind of didn't like the change, but at the same time, I embrace a little bit of change here and there. And I think it's something that could be cool. And I get why they're doing it. You know, the TV package and the fans want a little more and I get all that. And it makes it a little more uniform for the TV package. But to me, the one, the one negative, and again, I'm not short or against it. I'm just kind of feeling it out to see so far. I think it's worked out. Okay. Um, but the only thing that popped up to me as a potential negative is exactly what you said three more laps to try that passing lane or that passing section. Well, there's also three more laps for somebody to crash and we have enough injuries in the sport as it is. And, you know, if you're, again, I know the time on the track might be identical, but to those guys, they just raced an 18 lap main versus a 15 lap main period. No matter what the, the elapsed time said, they did the rhythm section three more times. They did the triple three more times. They blitzed the whoops three more times. And that's three more opportunities for somebody to weed themselves when they're, hanging on for dear life at the end of a main event, you know, which a lot of guys are, some guys aren't, some guys are charging and finding their groove like, uh, you know, Martin or Dungey or, or those guys are, you know, the fit guys, but even the fit guys, as we've seen like Tomac, you know, they can be getting arm pump and stuff goes bad. And, and 
speaking of Tomac, I want to jump back to Anaheim real quick. One thing that I think impressed the hell out of me, despite the arm pump, and I, I think the reason why Eli should be at least encouraged, he was the only guy, and this is just the, the nerd stat guy in me, again, breaking this down. He's the only guy that was literally, to the tenth of a second, the same exact lap time in qualifying, heat race, and main event. He did a qualified in the second fastest with a 102.1. Yep. He won his heat race with a 102.1, and he turned the third fastest time of the night all day long uh, by only three-tenths off our oxen in the main event with a 102.1. And that, to me, everybody else varied by a second or a half a second, even Dungey and Roxon up, down, whatever. But he was very consistent all day, and that, to me, shows that he's ready to go, and he's only three-tenths off the fastest time of the night by Roxon. That's, uh, that's encouraging. I think anybody that's... I have a friend of mine who will remain nameless, an industry friend that called him the uh, queen of arm pump, uh, obviously meaning derogatory, but man, arm pump's not something you can control. A guy like Eli is obviously in just prime condition and shape and uh, preparation. And it's just, uh, it's just an evil thing. I, I went through it my career and I don't envy the guy. It's just, there's nothing you can do about it. So no I'll kidding. Just say that. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. like uh like you said that you can't there's nothing really you can do about it uh so does it surprise you to see that it would creep in uh, creep up on a guy like that has uh, never really shown that in the past uh he he i think he was quoted as saying that he's never dealt with it in the the past uh like what what's your take on uh, on eli's um sudden deal having I, to deal with this uh, yeah I don't know if he says he hasn't. I don't recall. I, I I find it hard to believe that he hasn't because anybody that's had it, you either have it or you don't. There's guys like and, and Carmichael again. A lot of times I'm not a huge fan of his analysis, but he's been nailing it lately. He he hit it right on the head. People that don't understand arm pump, they they think it's a myth or they think it's just in your head or don't be a puss, whatever. Man, it's it's really not something you can control. And like Ricky said, it's just. It's a matter of breathing and holding on loosely, which when you're trying, like Ricky said, when you're trying to charge, if somebody's catching you or you're trying to catch somebody, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to up your intensity, and that's when you start death gripping the bars and holding your breath. For a guy like me, it was like, duh, it took me near the end of my career to figure it out. But And, and the analogy I use is like, let's, uh, Brad, I need you to come over and help me move this couch, but it's really heavy. It's just the two of us. Let's do it. We can do it. Ready? One, two, three. On three. <gasps> what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to just throw everything we've got into it, right? So, and what did I just do right there? I just clenched my muscles and held my breath when I said one, two, three. That's me blitzing the whoops, trying to catch somebody. That's Eli hitting the, scrubbing the rhythm section harder, trying to catch rocks and keep keep Dungey from catching him. When you do that, it's, you're just going against everything you're taught on a motorcycle and you're just basically imploding at that point. Michael Rocco I would say has really never dealt with arm pump because he was the most laid back, you know, smooth, casual guy out there. Personality wise, he was just like, and that's why he never got good starts. He wasn't really amped up or, uh, you know, he struggled with starts his whole career, but I don't think he ever had arm pump issues either because he rode loosely. You have to ride and hold on loosely and breathe and just be calm. But that's sort of a contradiction in terms when you're trying to charge and just kill a corner or kill a set of whoops. And that's, one of the many ingredients that goes into being a Supercross champion that people overlook, and you got to have them all. You can't just have raw speed or good conditioning or a good bike or good starts. Or, you have to have them all, and that's definitely one of them that Eli is missing right now. He's got all the pieces of the puzzle except that one, and that's it's a major one. Obviously, it's a problem. So I, ho- I hope he works through it. I really do because it's 
it's not fun. It's, it's embarrassing. It's frustrating when you know you can go that fast. I mentioned his lap times for a reason because he's clearly fast enough to run with those guys. Yep. Clearly in shape enough. And anybody that says he's not in shape, I remember people used to um, say, go, go work harder. Go to get, Eli's got to get to the gym. What the hell? What are they paying all his money for? I mean, come on. Think about what you're saying. It's nothing to do with training or, or diet or application. It's all in the heat of the moment. The guy is in ripped shape. I mean, they did. It was pretty ironic. His dad in that uh, piece, uh, the science of supercross or whatever it was, they broke it down. His dad explained it perfectly, what happened to him and the lack of oxygen and uh, and the way it happens. That's exactly what happened. So, anyhow, I guess yeah, we can move on on that one. It's, it's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one for Eli. I feel bad for him. Totally, totally. Um, and, yeah. and I think he will get that sorted out. It's just, uh, it's going to take some time. And uh, But the, the the good thing is, is that uh, we've seen uh, it, uh, better starts from Eli this this year, and we have seen speed. So I think uh, he'll get things ironed out in short order. Um, what, what, what say you about a guy like um, Jake Weimer winning a... Uh, Winning a semi race over the likes of of Cooper Webb, uh, obviously, is the kid's first uh, Supercross. But uh, as far as bike setup goes during practice and uh, just uh, racing wise, uh, I like Cooper Webb is extremely talented and will win Supercrosses uh, in the near f- in the future. Maybe not the near near future, but uh, um, what what's your take on those two guys? One uh, kind of on the on the tail end of his career, and the other obviously yep. uh, just getting going. Yeah, that, that's a perfect segue <laughs> uh, because I had forgotten I wanted to talk about Webb with the arm pump thing and the and the conditioning thing and all that because and I'll get back to Weimer in a second. I like Jake a lot. Of course. Uh, uh, I'll get to him, but I think he's doing a fantastic job in proving why he got that filling ride to a lot of people that were questioning that one. But, uh, you know, Webb, the thing, this is another one that jumped out even at me that I think a lot of people missed. And I'll admit, I missed it until I went and looked. I thought Webb would be in the hunt for race wins and podiums right out of the gate. I really did. Um, typically, I'm not a hoorah, you know, guy's got a number one plate in the East or West. He's moving up to 450s. I usually am the guy that's saying, no, he's not going to run with Dungey and, and uh, Roxon and those guys. I usually am, like, very reserved, like, wait and see. But last year with Marvin, I said, watch Marvin. He's going to be a top three guy. And this year with Webb, I said, watch Webb. He's going to be, you know, everybody makes the Bradshaw comparison. Right. I did, too. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong on both. But the thing that's blowing my mind right now is I went back and looked at Marvin's results from last year, and this is Marvin, Mr. Number 3, right between his training partners, bookends with Anderson and Dungey, a lot of last year and a lot of this year, obviously. We all know Marvin is where he's at right now, right? Well, he didn't start that way. And I remember taking a lot of heat from my friends. They were laughing him off, saying he needs to go back to GPs and this and that. Marvin last year at Anaheim got 14th. At the second round, he got ninth. At the third round, he got ninth. Okay, so look at Cooper Webb, almost identical, 10th, 14th. Yep. 14th and ninth. I mean, that, to me, shows that there is hope for Cooper Webb because I'm scratching my head on the guy right now, too. I know you just said it, and I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, he'll get it figured out. I'm surprised he didn't get it figured out right out of the gate. But I guess my point is, and, and furthermore, just to illustrate, Marvin did pull out a podium was sort of random at Oakland in round four or five, I think. And then let me look here. Yeah, he went 14, 9, 9, 3, and then he went 9, 7, 6, and then he reeled off all those podiums, 2, 3, 2, 2, almost won that race, and then he hurt his wrist again. But 
I guess the point being, if, if Marvin can do it, uh, I think Cooper can do it. And I hope he finds some comfort in that as well, because there's no doubt in my mind, not, not everybody that wins a regional 250 championship belongs up there with the big guys, but Cooper certainly does. He's won two of them in a row. He's won an outdoor championship as well, which means something. Uh, and he's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. I'm not a huge Cooper Webb fan as a person, but I'm a huge fan of his riding. And, uh, there's no question about it. He's the future of this sport. And, uh, I'm really shocked with a 10th and a 14th. So I, I hope he gets a turnaround quickly. So, Amen but, to uh, that, man. Uh, but yeah, let's yeah. talk a little bit about that guy that gets a fill-in ride and doing well with it and actually won a, the first time he's ever won a, soup, a, a semi-race running a, a full Justin Barsha setup. Didn't even have his suspension on hand to switch it over <laughs> midday. That's pretty impressive for, yeah. uh, for, for Jake Weimer. Jake Weimer is a stud. I mean, he's a former 250 champ as well. He's a guy that I also felt uh, and said that could get up there and run with those guys. And unfortunately, injuries, he just never got the chance. Uh, it's ironic because in the beginning of his 450 career, you know, if you asked anybody, he was keeping really close pace with Villapoto out of the test track. He was training with them. Uh, living with him, whatever they were teammates and everything was life was good for Jake. He had the big dark Howard contract. He had Villapoto as a stable mate and training partner, and they were pounding laps at the Cowie track and he was looking good even by Villapoto standards and, and then broke his wrist right before Anaheim. And he was probably pushing a little too hard. He was young. He was aggressive on a 450 and just it bit him. And now fast forward five, six, seven, however many years he's been in the 455 fighter. And he's a veteran, and he's not as fast. He doesn't have that raw speed that he used to have, but he still has speed. He knows how to get around a supercross track. He knows how to do 20 laps. He knows the program. He knows works bikes. He's a good test rider. He's a name. He has a solid, you know, career two-digit number. I mean, he's a uh, he's an institution in supercross. That's why he got picked for the fill-in ride over some young up-and-comer or whatever else people were saying should have got the ride instead of. Jake, uh, he's a he's a turnkey guy that can go in there and get the job done, and he's doing it. And a lot of people forget he doesn't have a lot of fanfare. He doesn't talk a lot, and he's not a big flashy guy. But he finished tenth in the points last year. I mean, who else are you going to get uh, that can do that? You could take a shot with a young guy, but people uh, this day and age they want somebody that they know is going to go out there and do it, not that might be able to go out there and do it. So uh, they're not about gambling with a with a factory ride like that. So. I think it was the right pick to put Jake out there, and he's pulling his weight so far. So more power to him. That he is. Hey, this is Zach Cummins from Phoenix Racing Co. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to commercial. We'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live-what-you-love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Culture's clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day, so we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. 
This is a test of your racersindex.com awareness. This was a test to see if you're ready to be found at racersindex.com. Supercross at Arena Cross are coming up. Now is the time to secure your position on a team. Mechanics, models, riders, flaggers, team owners, production specialists, anything related to racing. Be found at racersindex.com. Click it for your ticket to be found and become part of the racing industry. Racersindex.com, your ultimate race production resource. Visit racersindex.com now. When it's time to turn heads... Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, turn some heads and be able to change your bike's look on the fly, head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website. They've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale, and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today, place your order, and get set up to turn some heads out there. Spokeskins, we've got you covered. Racersindex.com is your ultimate race production resource. From the starting line of production to the finish line of winning, Racersindex.com is your go-to resource to be a part of or produce a checkered flag winning event. The professional's place to find work and workers, rides and riders, and more. If you need it to make your race event happen, it's happening at Racersindex.com. If you want to be a part of the racing world, join the Racersindex.com team today. If you need people on your team, you can find them at Racersindex.com. Log on now and find what you need, who you need, and anything needed for two-wheel or four-wheel racing. Log on if you're a mechanic, model, rider, flagger, caterer, sound engineer, team owner, production specialist, or anything related to racing. Find all people, places, and things racing all at racersindex.com. From dirt to the track, from desert to the drag strip, racersindex.com is your ultimate race resource. Click it for your ticket to all things racing. Racersindex.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. X-Racing Man. But more than bikes, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Ooh, that tastes what a delicious That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat ball. In motocross, everyone wants one common thing. To simply enjoy the ride. Sand, clay, loam, concrete, and everything in between. Riders all want to be able to enjoy their ride. But today is arena cross. Tomorrow's Glen Helen, and Saturday, we're heading to this gnarly sand track. 
How can we be sure our suspension is always dialed in? For most, employing a full-time practice technician is unrealistic, and even for those who have one, setting suspension is still a chore. Get a measuring tape, scratch a mark on the fender or rear number plate, and attempt some backward math to find 105 millimeters. Does this tape even have millimeters on it? Forget that. Head to motool.co today and set your sag every time you ride with the Slacker Digital Sag Scale. Let's hear from Johnny K. Spear himself and how this thing works. So uh, really basically you would just uh, stick it on your axle with the magnet, stick the clip on your side plate, basically where the arc of the axle would hit the side plate, and then uh, pull out the retractable cable, hook it to the clip, and turn it on, and then just take the bike off the stand and, and take a measurement. It's that easy. Trust tuning your suspension to Johnny K. Spear and Motul MX. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now, and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market. From supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the Viral brand. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been tuning power at its finest for motocross racers, off-road racers, you name it. For you two-stroke lovers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, 
anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to BillsPipes.com today and never settle. Hey, this is Adam with Vexy MX, and you're listening to the Big MX Podcast Radio Show. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Cade Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's dive a little bit into the 250s on the, uh, from Anaheim. Um, Shane McElrath, if you had uh, um, you had to, to put your money on anybody uh, winning that first round uh, in the 250 class, a lot of people would have uh, thrown around a lot of names, including Austin Forkner. Uh, but uh, not too many would have uh, thought that Shane McElrath would not only have one, but now two main event wins. Uh, but let's just talk about uh, Anaheim for one. The guy was fast. Fast in practice, he handled his qualifier and uh, basically just got the whole shot and, and uh, led every single lap. Pretty impressive from a kid who, uh, like two or three years ago, uh, just rolled into the uh, into the pro class, and we really haven't seen a, a ton of flashes of brilliance from him since. Yeah, and I, I like Shane. I dealt with him a little bit at Liat late in my career, early in his career. He's a really good guy. Um, friend of mine that used to work at Liat and... Uh, that knows him from the East coast. Amanda recommended him to me years ago. And I took a look at him when he was an amateur and liked what I saw. And obviously so did everybody else. And the rest, as they say, is history. I am not going to sit here and say that I picked him to win, but I promise you, I texted my friends, my just bench racing picks. And I had him as my dark horse. And I literally wrote on the paper with an asterisk, dark, my dark horse pick for podium or better. So I thought he was capable of doing that, but I'm not going to go out and say that I picked him to win or anything, but it certainly didn't shock me as much as it shocked some people. I, I had Forkner and Hill first and second, and I think I had uh, uh, either Martin or Plessinger third. I'm trying to remember, but I had those, that was my podium. And then, like I said, I had McElrath for podium or better was what, was what I wrote. So good for him, man. The kid, the Troy team is doing things right. They always have. They're finally, you know, on really solid equipment. Not that they weren't before, but it's a full factory deal the last couple of years. And uh, they do things right. They believe in themselves. He's picking up uh, where a lot of guys coming through that program have left off, obviously. And uh, I really like what I see in Shane McElrath. He believes in himself. Uh, Sealy did the same thing there, obviously. And uh, like I said, they, they've got a good program. And... Uh, I think it's awesome. Jesse Nelson was on on his way to doing the same thing. Uh, had he not got hurt in Supercross and then subsequently at Unadilla, unfortunately. But to me, that that team has been building some solid riders, and Shane is just the next. And speaking of solid riders, Mitchell Oldenburg, I also said, I was telling my friends I wasn't picking him for a win or a podium, but certainly top five and possibly a podium. And then I, I even surprised myself on this one, too. I went back and rewatched the broadcast or at least the highlights of it he got knocked off the track oldenburg got knocked off the track in the first turn if you look he snuck yeah. through the inside and kind of joined back in around 15th but to get knocked off the track in the first turn and come back to get fourth is damn impressive <laughs> and we know last year he was solidly top four or five in lap times a lot of times even over his teammates when he was just a fill-in guy last year 
and then unfortunately goes out and breaks his collarbone this weekend. So that was a bummer. But Oldenburg, <clears throat> I know McElrath has been talking him up too since the Red Bull straight rhythm. And, uh, you know, again, let's not forget about Red Bull straight rhythm. Not everybody was there, but McElrath looked awful solid there. So back to him, I love what I'm seeing. I love the aggression. I love the, you know, the conditioning, the bike, everything looks good with that guy. I love it. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think Hill is going to win some races. Obviously I think, uh, Forkner is certainly going to win some races. Plessinger, it's deep as always. I mean, Davalos is doing his thing. And uh, for McArath to come from behind and win that race was, was damn impressive. So, totally agree. Couldn't be now, happier. Nice let's guy. Talk, let's talk uh, uh, San Diego uh, Supercross 250 class as well as basically that championship hunt so far. Um, the track specifically in San Diego, su- super tight. Uh, they're pretty quick lap times. There was, uh, there's like about half of the track was super jumpy and there was a lot of cool timing sections that you had to master. And then, uh, from that one left-handed corner, or I guess that one right-hander uh, over the triple right across the start gate, back across, it was kind of a wide open spot all the way through the finish line there. Um, so kind of, you had to kind of change your and focus I love that single in the middle jump. of the lap. That, that, yeah, that single jump, the way specifically a few guys rocks and, uh, Macarath specifically, were just literally trying to. It, it almost, which is, is contradictory to what you think, but it almost looked like they were preloading off the thing, trying to jump as far as they could. Which yeah. again doesn't make much sense, but it looked. Not only did it look like a lot of fun, and a lot of people get intimidated on jumps like that. To me, I I used to love hitting jumps like that because there was nothing dangerous to land on. <laughs> if you're in a case of triple or a rhythm section, didn't need to worry about how fast or how slow I was going to time it, just freaking pin it off the thing. And, you know, with the suspension those guys have, they were landing halfway across the start, as you saw, and if they hit it at the right angle, it was just poetry in motion. I loved that section. So, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I yep. couldn't agree more. There was, there was some tricky jump sections uh, right after the start there. That seemed to separate guys qu- quite quickly uh, as, as the For beginning sure. of the first lap. But actually what I found was the most interesting is that uh, uh, other than that one tricky triple that ended up uh, uh, t- ending a few guys' nights, so I guess uh, Martin was able to uh, uh, do his cat-like exp- impression and, uh, and back, get him back on his feet, and he, he ended up uh, finishing out the day. But... Um, Oldenburg break, breaks a collarbone there, and um, Jimmy, Jimmy Albertson uh, goes over the bars as well, and uh, and takes a bit of a digger. That was a tricky section. Yeah, it was. Even after they fixed it, it looked tricky, and uh, especially with the transitions, like we talked about, they didn't look too bad there. I wasn't there, obviously, so I didn't mark the track, but it they didn't look like they were too curved out in between the transitions on that particular section. But yeah, you had to be on your toes, and again, uh, arm bump conditioning uh you know shocks fading flexes fading uh breaking bumps and chop you know they talked about that some of the corners and some of the entries and you saw um which speaking of that remind me when we get to the 450 some of the lines dungey was using were just you know total dungey-esque if you will (laughs) near the end of the main but yeah the track conditions were getting pretty hairy and to nail those sections especially on the 250 like you said lap after lap was tricky and that's why i think you saw those guys hill said it and uh and Makarov said it. They were like, man, it was touch and go if I was even going to finish the race. Well, I'll be standing up here on the podium. Uh, and that's scary that they're willing to hang it out that hard. I mean, that's that's 250 class, I'll tell you. So, no kidding. And uh, what I know. found interesting is that that, that whoop section uh, had more the, – the, the your speed through the whoops had more to do with being able to – 
downside the double before it than even your entrance speed yep. because guys uh, we saw it on the last lap of the forfeits and we're going to get to that but uh everyone that went long on that double never had the drive to consistently go over that uh that set of whoops properly and honestly that uh, I agree. Where a lot of passes were made and uh, a lot of fast laps in uh, in qualifying came down to exactly that because they were all around the same lap time but if they were able to to get the drive coming into those whoops and skim across them in that extra half second faster than everybody else that's felt the difference that's where people were successful no doubt and and you're right i think uh you know it, it's like one of those uh things if you don't know if, if you've never done it or a random fan or the lay person when when people talk about entry speed into the whoops they're like well just go faster then it's not that simple <laughs> you have to carry your speed in the whoops but your suspension has to be unloaded at the right time too and like you said if they over jumped or under jumped that double their suspension might have been either rebounding still if they jump far or, or not rebounded enough if they case that double and they're still bouncing into them you really had to get a solid drive to plane across them and justin hill was making it look to me as good or better than even the 450 guys when he was yeah. getting across them i think in the heat race that was incredible and uh i'm trying to think who else oh davy milfaps is who it was went past somebody like they were just standing still in the whoops for maybe it was in the semi or something. It was just spectacular, difficult baby. That, the year that he uh, almost won uh, and, and had some wins in the seconds and was right there on his Suzuki, that was the key that year, in my opinion, was the whoops. His height, his, his talent in the whoops and his style and his bike setup was just magic in the whoops. And when he wanted to, he looked like he was literally a gear higher, which is kind of an old saying these days because everybody's a gear higher in the whoops, so yeah, forth. You know, um, but they, uh, he literally looks like he's friggin' fifth gear wide open compared to some of those guys in the whoops, Davey does, and so does Justin Hill. So, and that technique, that's not just, again, you know as well as I do, that's not just pin it to win it through the whoops. He'll, the cart wheel, real quick, there's, there's definitely uh, a fine art to hitting them at that speed and unweighting at the right time and making sure you're not going too far and, you know, dabbing your front wheel over the top of one of them and going over the bars. But that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty interesting section whoops for sure. Totally. And as usual, all those guys made them look easy, but they weren't. He couldn't agree yeah. more. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Jer- Jeremy Martin. An eventful day with his uh, his dismount uh, off of that one triple, but uh, at- leaving San yeah, Diego. Got up and set his fast lap after that, yeah. Yeah, he did. Because um, Clearly, the the kid wasn't any worse for wear. Maybe a little bit of a scare, but uh, the adrenaline uh, put him in a good position to uh, set a fast lap. But uh, he leaves San Diego in sixth place, tied in points with, uh, with Austin Forkner. But uh, tw- twenty-one points back, and uh, and not looking like he's going to be able to um, really make a dent into this. He doesn't just have to catch Shane McElrath; he's got to he's got to catch uh, Aaron Plessinger and the rest of the guys. Uh, if you're Jeremy Martin, uh, what are your thoughts coming out of the second round of a nine-round series? Well, I hope if uh, if he's me, or I hope he's if I'm him, I'm thinking uh, don't panic. Uh, respectfully, I couldn't disagree more. The two fifty class is. Uh, the 250 class for a reason. We've seen guys like Shea Bentley win it with a DNF at Anaheim. Um, yes. A sixth and a seventh isn't spectacular. It's a huge disappointment for Jeremy Martin, but he's got points on the board, and I'd say it's far from over. You're right. It's not one guy running away. That's the tricky part. You are right about that. He's got three or four guys ahead of him, even five with Forkner that he's got to worry about in the long run, but consistency wins championships in the 250 class, and if he gets his wins, which he will, I'm sure, if he can reel off a couple wins or 
even get on a roll and, and win out or something, God forbid. You never know. There's, you know, there's nine rounds in the, in the 250 these days when they, uh, with the East and West, the way they do it, and then Vegas counting. So there are plenty of opportunities, I think, left for Jeremy Martin to get back in the, the thick of things. And unfortunately, what also always happens, unfortunately, in the 250 class, and I say unfortunately because I like all these guys up front, you know, somebody's going to, they're going to have bad races. I mean, there's just, yep. it's almost inevitable. So I would say he's, he's probably pissed and not happy with the sixth and a seventh, but not nowhere near being out of it yet. If if we're talking after round four or round five, he might be in trouble, but I've seen stranger things happen in that class. That's for sure. And when he's on, you saw him in practice, that lap that he laid down, he looked like the fastest guy out there. And uh, I'm trying to remember what did he call by second or third third so we know we know he has the speed i mean and he definitely has the conditioning and all that he just seems to have this you know monkey on his back in supercross and it's uh i thought the honda would suit him a little better than it is right now but he's a champ he's a stud he's on you know arguably one of the best teams or if not the best team he'll he'll get it figured out i think so well that's all, i i, I agree tough, i think tough competition uh, for sure yeah it, he's got his work cut out for him, but uh, if anyone can do it, it's a guy who uh, who knows the long series, a guy that's taken down two back-to-back uh, outdoor titles. Um, I know right. when you're watching TV on the week the, this last weekend, you might not have been able to see uh, the the intensity or how desperately J- uh, Jimmy Dakotas was uh, trying to uh, break away in those first laps in the two. I love Jimmy Dakota, by the way. Uh, I, I love him as well. Uh, fast rider, uh, tons of talent, so much good fun spirit. To watch. Fun to watch, um, but uh, what Fearless wasn't fun to jumper. watch was him hitting the hitting the wall about as hard as he can, uh, fitness Bad. wise, yep. and uh, and putting that Honda in reverse back to a sixth place position. And uh, I believe he was leading at the seven minute mark, and he ended up twenty six seconds back by the end of the moto. Yep. Uh, that's yep. one tired uh, Peabody, Massachusetts rider, but uh, nevertheless yep. A, yep. a whole shot uh, and and a, a pretty much a little bit of a bright light. For a guy who uh, um, finally has uh, some some good support underneath him, no question. And uh, I'm a big Jimmy D fan, like I said, and you said too. He just he's a kid that works. He works hard. You know, he's in shape. I think the the, the situation might have got to him a little bit. He's maybe not as in as in good a shape as some of these guys, but he's certainly not out of shape. I wouldn't say. Um, no, for sure. You know, when you're out front and you're on a team like that where you're not the guy, you're just supposed to be out there backing up Jeremy Martin or whatever, and you're leading and you're pulling away, no less. It can get you, and especially looking at the clock, seeing how much time is left, and they did 18 laps instead of 15. Like I said, the whole thing kind of came unraveled on him, and I was surprised. I thought he'd hold on for a podium at least, but you're right. He he threw the anchor out pretty hard, and that was hard to watch for me. But at least he didn't weed himself in DNF, I mean, to still come out, what, top five or, or he got six. So, I mean, it's not bad. For him, it's probably right where they wanted him to be. He just started out with such a, a flash. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love, like I said, watching that kid ride two, what was it, two or three years ago when he was first on that team. I remember watching him in Phoenix, standing there, watching him jump this rhythm section that literally I think only one or two 450 guys were doing, and he was doing it every lap on his 250, on his Geico Honda, every lap in this heat race. Just the kid is fearless jumping and i mean this this rhythm section was gnarly and like i said all but the best top two i don't even remember if it was dungey or Villapoto back then but it, it it was bad and he's just rat on his 250 uh, jumping this rhythm section lap after lap in the heat race in traffic a couple times i was like my god this guy is gnarly i thought he was going to go on to be better than he is um but 
there's a piece of the puzzle missing there for him too. I'd say obviously somewhere, but somewhere uh, along the line, I, I thought but, it was uh, a cool ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the better days ahead for, uh, for, for Jimmy Dakotas. But um, one of the things yep. I, I, I found interesting, and we talked about those timed main events, that if we had a traditional uh, 15 lap main event, Martin Davalos would have not only been on the podium, but he would have won that freaking race. Uh, instead, for sure. they caught him the, too. At yeah. the 18 lap mark, uh, his anchor was rather prevalent. Uh, his tongue was stuck in the sprocket, and he ends up with a fourth place position and probably a bitter taste in his mouth. Yeah, and you know what's weird about that is I and Martin he works hard. He's a veteran. He's been in the class. I don't even want to say it, but twelve years uh, for all those haters that don't like the system. But hey, I I love Martin. He's a he's a great kid, and uh, not a kid anymore. He's twenty eight, but um, he knows what he's doing. There's a reason he keeps getting rides, and that's why. And yeah, his tongue was in the wheel, but I've seen him do weird things like that before. And the the race I'm trying to remember, I might be sticking my foot in my mouth i think it was new jersey last year where him and malcolm went at it and i'm trying to remember if it was Fletcher or somebody else in on that battle but he like caught the leaders then looked like he had his tongue in the wheel then re-caught them and then i think ended up winning if i'm right but long story short he has he's been a guy like that that's been weird in the past where he looks like he's done put a fork in him he's fading he's casing rhythm section he looks like he's a danger to himself up there. And then all of a sudden like regroups, I've never seen somebody do that before. Um, obviously it didn't happen the other night, but, uh, he, Martin definitely is a veteran and knows what it takes to win races. And it was a bummer that those extra three laps cost him that win. I, I actually agree with you there as well. So, well, uh, it's, it's, it's no, um, uh, this is, this is not a slight at, uh, at, 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 at Martin Davalos whatsoever. I think he's a great racer. I think he's a phenomenal rider. I think he won. He will win. He will win a main event in this uh, in this series, one hundred percent. But uh, a funny stat for you: uh, Aaron Plessinger rode a KJSC on the same night that Martin Davalos raced the two fifty main event in two thousand and three. I believe it. I believe it. In two thousand six, <laughs> so, is that what you said? That would have been. It was, that, uh, he had, Martin uh, rode select events in 2003, believe it or not. Uh, 2000, you know, that can't be, because his, his first year was 2006. 2006. I'm not even sure about that. I, yeah, 2006 was his first year with Star. It was 577, uh, and well, I he, he rode he for an M- MDK uh, um, KTM the year before that. No, that was after. That was after. He started with Star. They, they got him right out of the amateurs. Okay. For sure. I know that. Yeah. Either way, either way. I mean, even if it was 2006 and Plessinger's out there in the KTSC, that's pretty gnarly. And he knows it. I mean, he's not stupid. I mean, with these guys, what are you going to do? I mean, so the guys, again, hate the rules, not the, not the players or whatever, not to sound too cliche, but if you're in Martin's shoes, what are you going to do? Go privateer it on a 415, pay your own way, or keep taking money that people are throwing at you. It's, it's as simple as that. I mean, he's a good guy trying to make a living. He's a humble kid. He works hard. He doesn't jack around. I love him, and I, I think more power to him. He's making a living over here chasing his dream, and he even said so on the podium. I, I I wish he wouldn't let those guys get to him as much as he does where he has to stand up there and say, this is for all you haters. You know, that, I hope it doesn't eat him up as much because I'm the kind of guy that does that too. I don't, you know, like I told you earlier, I don't like it when people rip on me or dislike me. I'm just out there doing my best, and that's what Martin's doing, and he shouldn't let it affect him. If it's going to use it for motivation, that's fine, but he shouldn't give them 
you know, the time of day or justify their negative comments by saying that on the podium, in my opinion. But anyhow, my Fair two enough. cents. Well, so. let's uh, before before we uh, um, leave to uh, the San Diego or the San Diego four fifties. Uh, give me your uh, prediction for the two fifties two fifty main event podium for uh, Anaheim two. Oh boy. Put me on the spot. I didn't know this yeah. was going to be part of the program. Was this on the, the pre-quiz? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, um, no, there was no pre-quiz. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy enough to say, which jump into the 450s real quick before I forget this, and then we're going to get back to that, and I'll get back mm-hmm. to my picks. But how unusual is it with the depth in the class that we always say every year, and it gets a little redundant, and I, I love the hashtag this year. Drop the gate. That's as good as it can get because – They've had some cheesy ones in the past, you know, who's next and that kind of thing. But hashtag drop the gate. I I loved it. But inevitably, it is what it is. There's a lot of depth in the 450 class. That being said, I'm sitting here looking at the points, and it's 1-1-2-2-3-3-4-4-5-6-6-5-7-8-8-7-9-11-12-10. The top 10 were all the same, basically, the first two rounds, almost almost identically, except for the 5 and the 6 flip-flop, the 7 and the 8 flip-flop. I mean, that is... Yeah amazing to me with the depth and talent that is amazing that that has happened now in the 250s it's similar obviously it's it's gone one one with mackerel question has gone two three hill five two martin three four uh forkner eight five uh jeremy martin six seven so it's similar there too and that's the one that's usually even more all over the map so that being said i'm gonna you put me on the spot i haven't even had time to think about this i'm gonna go out on a limb pick a new winner i'm gonna say either I'm going to say either Hill or Martin, and I'm going to go with, with Hill. I'm going to go Hill, Martin, Forkner. What the heck? I'll even write it down. <laughs> Hill, Hill, Martin, Forkner, leaving uh, your current yep. voice leader off the podium. Well, that certainly that's right. I, I don't, that's not a knock on McElrath because I'm no, a huge McElrath fan. This is just bench think these guys can. Yeah. yeah, just simply because I think all three of these guys can and will win a race and or be on the podium. I'm just going crazy this week. Anaheim's going to be chaos. There's there's your there's your top three: Hill, Martin, Forkner, all your fantasy guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, so, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Hill, Forkner, Plessinger uh, for Ooh, my for, for my th- my top three. And uh, so the pro circuit guys will definitely be feeling it. And uh, I is right in their backyard there. So uh, that's my uh, that's my prediction. Hill. There you uh, go. Uh, Hill Plessinger or Her- Hill Forkner and uh, and Plessinger uh, for my t- my top three. Let's go four fifties. Let's nice. talk about the big nine four because he's commanding all kinds of uh, um, all all kinds of respect right now from from all walks of life. If you're on, two oh wheels. well, I can just say this: dude, things just got interesting, didn't they? I mean, definitely. Dungey qualified with the fastest lap time. Yep. He had the fastest time in the main, if I'm not mistaken. He did. Um, yep, he sure did. I'm looking at it. So, but I mean, barely by two tenths. But that says a lot. And we know both those guys are in shape. We know they're both fast. I back backing up a little bit. I started before Anaheim won bench race with my buddies. I'm not playing fantasy or anything. Actually, I take that back. I was goofing around on that Rocky Mountain. Uh, MCATV thing at the last second, but I don't typically play any fantasy leagues. Um, just bench racing with friends. I wanted to do what everybody does, which is like, I'm going to go with Marvin Muskin for the win. 
you know, you want to go with the shocker that way. If you're right, it's like everybody thinks you're a hero. But then I was like, no, you know what? All roads point to Roxon. He loves the Honda. He's got his deal. He's got his dream ride. He's coming off this, that, and the other thing. And he's, he's the guy. I mean, it, it, to me, it was pretty obvious he was going to win. And I'm not overly shocked that he did win. I was a little shocked that he won by as much as he did at A1. And I was going, uh-oh, man, he's even stronger than I thought. But then, and I, and I like both those guys. I'm a huge Roxon fan, but I'm a bigger Dungey fan. So I want to see Dungey do what he did at San Diego, and he did. And that was like, hello. <laughs> like, I'm not done yet. I'm a two-time defending champ for a reason. Uh, but this is this is the story of Supercross. You know, when you've got a young guy and, and a veteran guy who's potentially, again, Dungey's not old by any stretch, but he's got to be getting close to being completely burned out, a la Carmichael or Villapoto or many before him, right? So yeah. can he do it another year with Roxon? who is an absolute phenom in his prime on the dream ride for Dungey to pull that off, whether he wins the championship or not right there was a statement Saturday night, in my opinion, enough. Uh, I'd like to see him win one more championship, but it, again, this is the history of Supercross dictates that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. So uh, it's going to be a fantastic season. If that keeps happening. And I thought it was pretty uh, incredible that, that, Dungey basically had him covered, in my opinion. In fact, I, I wanted you to remind me, I almost forgot those lines Dungey was using was so classic Dungey near the end of the main event where he was cutting down to the inside of the corners, missing a lot of the chop and, and ruts and stuff, and that's where he was making up his time, and it almost worked. I thought he had him until he just blew that one section on the last lap. Um, and it, he's just so crafty, the guy, and his bike is set up so perfectly. That KTM is incredible. I mean, Roxon has his bike going on too, and I, I kind of thought the Honda would suit him, and it is. Um, but man, that was an epic, epic charge from Dungey to reel him back in and be putting the pressure on him like that, and probably had him had him sized up and had a place where he wanted to pass him. And if he could have got it done or not is another thing, but he certainly would have come closer than that if he had not had that one mistake, which was very undungey like. So, oh, I agree. Um, pretty pretty what- incredible race. What surprises you more about uh, uh, about San Diego? Uh, Tommy Hahn getting in there uh, on uh, with, uh, or I guess, yeah, you know what? Justin Braden at a 17 or Frederick Noren on a 250F riding, uh, getting, uh, getting 19th in that same main event? Definitely Brayton. I mean, I, I'm buddies with, with JB, and I don't know what the hell is going on. I haven't talked to him, so I shouldn't say. I don't know if he's sick. I don't know if he's injured, but he also he had sixth. it going on this off season. Yeah, he, uh, by all accounts, should be a much, much higher. I mean, well inside the top 10. He's proven he's at the speed. He's uh, proven he has the conditioning. I mean, as recently as last year was mixing it up with guys like Reed and those guys for – and Seeley and, and those guys, six, seventh, fifth, six, seventh. He's been close sniffing the podium. Uh, he's just such a solid rider, and I know he loves the Honda. And I, I didn't talk to Justin. I texted him a couple times, but spoke directly to Steve Aldaco's agent, and he confirmed, yeah, he's back, back on the Honda. We're saying how good he looks, and he's back on red, and this and that. And then he goes down to Australia and kills it, uh, and was giving Reed all he could handle down there on his home turf, Webb and those guys, and then comes up here and just kind of plays an egg the first two rounds. I have no idea. I just call him or text him. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I hope he gets it figured out soon because this definitely 
on Brayton like to be that far back two two rounds in. You know, I know there's a lot of talent, and somebody has to get 17th or some. That's my favorite thing. You know, when you take 10 guys that have won a main event and put them all in there, 10 guys that should be on the podium by all accounts. I mean, there's there's literally 10 guys that should be that would be disappointed if they're not standing on the podium, but somebody has to get eighth place. That you can yeah. all sit on the podium. I, I, so I agree that. Yeah, that that's is that's the thing. It's all. just so brutal. It's brutal this sport. So, and when that happens, as you also know, this game is so mental. After a round or two, when that's you and that's happening to you, just like with Martin, like we talked about. Uh oh. I mean, this, it, the mental game could really creep in, and that's when you find out who who has it and who doesn't mentally. Because Webb, same thing. Marvin last year, I really after spouting off that he was going to be a top three guy to everybody that wanted to listen, I was even scratching my head going, dude, I, I knew he was coming off the wrist injury and all that, but I was like, there's no way he's going to come back from getting a 14th and a 10th and a ninth that you just can't jump from ninth to third, but he did. So yeah. I, I hope, you know, like I said, I hope the guys that are strong mentally can do that. They believe in themselves. They know what's wrong, but a lot of guys can't, again, one of those, tiny ingredients that it takes six or seven of them to add up uh, to be a top guy in this sport. That's definitely one of them is not to let yourself believe that you belong in 17th place like Justin right now. Hopefully he believes more than that. So totally otherwise you just start doing it every week. Yeah. You just start going out there, settling into your face and that's where you're at. So uh, right now in the championship points, uh, there's a couple of things that's, that jump out at me as surprises. Uh, one is the uh, is the 18 of Davy Millsaps currently sitting in, uh, believe he's in seventh seventh place position, um, with yeah. uh, which is ahead of a, a number of guys that I I would have uh, predicted him in front of, and uh, and another is. Um, uh, is, is Chad Reed all the way back there in 14th, uh, double that number up, that obviously too. the, the first race of the year, uh, Chad having a, having a, the a run in literally run in with, uh, with, with Pike, Weston yeah. Pike, he gets one point in the first day and then, uh, but he qualified really well in, in San Diego, didn't turn into, uh, that phenomenal of an, a main event for him though. Uh, at, it, he, at his favorite track, no less. Yeah. Yeah. And well, one of them. For sure, uh, that I was Qualcomm back in the day, but nevertheless, San Diego still got some good vibes for Reedy. Uh, oh, do you for think, sure. Uh, do you think the guys lost a little bit off his fastball? Well, here, here's the perfect analogy. Same, same situation I was just talking about. Does Chad Reed figure it out? Does he know something we don't know? Obviously, he does. We, we haven't. I haven't talked to him. I don't know if you have, and we're not in his inner circle. Maybe he's having bike problems. Maybe he's nursing an injury. Right. Maybe he's got a flu bug coming off the airplane from Australia. Who knows? Um, He's obviously something's wrong. He deserves to be much higher and should be. Now, will he? Is he going to keep getting ninths and tenths and, and DNFs or whatever? If he does, he's going to pull a Kevin Wyndham real quick and say, you know what, guys, I'm I'm done. Uh, if he doesn't, and and we've all underestimated him for the 57th time, which, again, I'm a huge Chad Reed fan. Uh, I, I'll admit I've underestimated that guy way too many times, and then he comes out and wins, and it's like, holy shit. Um can he do that again? I sure hope so. I mean, but if not, this plays into the mental thing. Right now, I guarantee you mentally, he is not pumped on where he's at. He came into the season thinking he could win the championship. And again, the other thing I always have to curtail myself and caution everybody, including myself, it's just two rounds out of a 17-round series. It's just two rounds. There's no panic time for anybody. 
But after a couple more, you're going to start to see trends after three or four rounds. Uh, two rounds in, yeah, you got excuses here, excuses there, the broken cases, the the pike incident, maybe a bad start. I didn't see exactly why Reed wound up ninth. Maybe he rode his balls off to get ninth, and he's pumped on that because he had a flat tire. Who knows? I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. He Only he knows Started if 14. the pace has surpassed him. So he passed a few guys. Yeah. And he, like at one yeah. point, Dean Wilson was your top uh, top Yamaha guy. Still ended up uh, yeah. the, your second best Yamaha guy in the field. So let's touch on him a little bit. The guy's a full blown privateer, driving himself to to the races with, with his old man wrenching. Um, does that bring any any fond memories back of your racing career? And yeah. uh, um, what do you make of a guy who wasn't able to find work? able to uh clearly clearly like put in some results dean wilson uh, i love dean wilson too i know i probably sound like a broken record i love all these guys that's not true i don't love them all just loving all the ones you're talking about so far i do love dean wilson i was wrong in predicting he was going to be a marvin or he was going to be a web or he was going to be a rocks and i i really believe dino could get up there and be a top three top five 450 guy coming off of his 250 days and his 250 outdoor championship and this and that. Uh, he's got bad timing injuries, whatever, bad luck, make your own luck, that kind of thing. Whatever you want to call it, it, it never transpired. And now you got a lot of people that say he's this, he's that, he's never belonged up there, and I, I say BS. Now, that being said, I've been saying the whole offseason, man, he is going to shock some people, and I don't care he's going to show up on this, you know, privateer bike that he got from Keith McCarty or Jimmy Perry and those guys and, and really show some stuff. He, is he done good? Sure. I mean, given the talent in the field and given the fact that he's full privateer out of a sprinter van with his dad spinning wrenches, absolutely. However, and this, again, I love Dino, but it needs to be more. He's not turning heads. He's not going to get a ride with, with 13th and 12th. He needs to step it up, in my opinion, win a semi, do a Jake Weimer, uh, run top five, even if it's for part of the main. Uh, he needs to step it up and I mean, he'll get a fill-in ride, I think, if somebody gets hurt, God forbid. Um, but to really have somebody take a hard look at him and say, man, we missed this guy. He needs to be doing better, even even on the privateer bike. Because I think the bike is, uh, I don't know for a fact, but I guess it's good enough. I'm sure with the amount yeah. of people he's got helping him, it's it's good enough. It's not a full factory bike, and I know it makes a big difference with the weight. All those guys are saying right now, I can hear Shorty and those guys, the weight. The weight's a big difference. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, the tie parts and everything, the magnesium, but it's it's a good enough bike, I'd say, for him to be doing as good or better than he's doing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wish him well. I hope he can get up there and prove me right. I think he belongs up front. I agree, my friend. Uh, uh, some some even better results than he's getting right now would definitely put him in a good position to uh, to, to, to to snake a ride for somebody, or, or at least turn some heads, like you said. Uh, to yeah, right uh, to now he's in, just kind of out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and doing what would someone would expect from someone who's riding that type of equipment, uh, being on that type yeah. of program. If he's exceeding yeah, he's those not, expectations. Yeah. Then you you could, there's there's argument that uh, he needs to be on uh, on any like a any of the like a Weston Pikes bike or a right. Josh Grant's right. bike something like that. There's an argument for that, but those guys are finishing ahead of him right now. So, yep. Uh, yep. And he, a, he's probably exceeding expectations of a lot of the haters that thought he couldn't even qualify for the main event. He's yeah. smoking those expectations, and he's doing very well again in this very deep field to qualify easily and be right there, basically. You know, again, 
almost mid-pack, you could say, out of this intensely deep field, but it's just not enough to really snap some heads around and go, whoa, we missed this guy. He, he's doing good, but not good enough, unfortunately. Fair enough. So, um, yeah. What about, uh, did you happen to see uh, Blake Baggett's Larry Loopout? <laughs> it's funny you say Larry Loopout. That's exactly what I texted my buddy when he did it. I was like, what was that? Loopout Larry. I, I think, I hope I'm right on this one. The only thing I can say is he must have been expecting or tried to to grab third gear and missed or thought he was in. I, I don't know what happened. I think it was a clutch issue. Thing, I think uh, something slipped in the maybe. clutch or something. Yeah, and he, just he grabbed he all he, of a sudden. Yeah, he said he felt the the back tire moving or spinning before he even let go of the front brake. So he kind of knew that there was going to be uh, a hold on tight moment coming real quick. Yeah, and you know that's probably true because I don't care how antsy or geeky these guys get for a pro rider to loop out like that. I'd say it wasn't his fault. I mean, something had to have gone wrong, and uh, it's so embarrassing to have that happen at his level. And and you're you're probably right, or if he said that, you're definitely right, obviously. But I'm always surprised when you stand on the starting line if you ever get a chance. Look and see, a lot of those rear wheels are starting to spin, and the guys don't even know it. Look down the starting line, and you'd be surprised when they've got the front brake in and the clutch just starting to engage before the gate drops, especially at an yeah. outdoor with some of the privateer bikes that don't realize, you know, they might not have the good equipment and the rear wheel's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like starting to dig in. And that's, they end up getting a bad start because they've already put the rear wheel in a hole before the gate even drops, and then they pop the front end up. But it's kind of uh, surprising when that happens. It's uh, definitely some kind of malfunction on that bike, I'd say. Fair but who knows? Well, uh, it might it might have been pilot error. Who knows? Could maybe a, a combination of things. Either way, the kid hit the ground, but uh, and and did that kind of spelt the end of his evening? I don't know if he, he ended up going he back didn't to look the impressed, pits. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I only have him on uh, for completing. Uh, he's he's twentieth twentieth uh, place, and I feel like even after a crash like that, would have been able to uh, pick off guys like. Norin and and Han, so maybe he uh, he he pulled into the truck early, but nevertheless, uh, the number four will come back uh, with uh, perhaps a bruised bruised ego, but uh, some speed nonetheless. Because actually, he looked good in Anaheim one. Everybody said preseason he was falling ass at the KTM track, and I believe it. I don't believe the rumors that he was the fastest guy at the KTM track, which everybody was whispering i don't, no, believe, I that don't believe that for, for a, a second, second but i believe he would be close to marvin and dungy he's he's no joke i mean blake is a fast rider and people don't give him enough credit in supercross so i don't think he's at quite that level but he's certainly capable of being a top five guy on the night right on the uh, right night no question about it that being said so. um between Jason Anderson and Cole Seeley, which one of those guys can you expect to um, make the next step and uh, find their way onto a podium? Because uh, starting to get a little bit boring here, man. One, two, three, one, two, three. Dude, both those guys go about it so differently, too. It's ironic you say that because Anderson at times looks like he's the fastest guy on the track, right? When he, you know, catches and passes, uh, who was it, Eli? Yeah, in the heat Eli, race. yeah. Um, and, and you know what's funny is uh, I like Jason, too, um, and I, I actually admire his aggression. Um, I know he rubs people the wrong way, but he, he he's not a dick about it. Like, he yeah. just says, I, I'm being paid to do this, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to get by you. 
And, yeah. you know, there's a difference between money between second and third place or stand on the podium and on. I'm not going to be back in the truck watching you hold my third place trophy. I mean, you got to love that. They're, that's kind of lost sometimes in this sport. And I, I like it. I, what I don't like that being said is when, and I, I used to hate this in my career. If somebody, if I'm holding somebody up endlessly, I'm expecting to get punted. Okay. I was pretty good at being a roadblock and I'm, was kind of feeling it coming if somebody's going to pump me. What I didn't like is it's the first lap or second lap and maybe somebody, let's say I'm Eli and Jason just passed somebody to get into second and I'm leading and he immediately pulls the trigger on me before he even knows if he's going faster than me or not. I've seen him do that and he did it to Eli in the beginning of the heat. If you saw that, he did it from two bike lengths back. I mean, he didn't even really, I don't know, I guess you see the opening and you take it, but to me, if Eli, and then Eli passed him back and gapped him, if Eli had gone on to win that heat, it would have illustrated my point. Like, dude, why totally. did you do that? Yeah. You, you jeopardized both of you, not only both of your heat races, potentially both of your seasons or potentially even career. If you crash and go down, break a leg, whatever, break a wrist, you know, it just, it was a sketchy, super aggressive pass, not dirty, but pretty sketchy, crazy aggressive. Okay. And then if Eli passes him back and checks out, why, why would you even try that why not stalk him right. for a little bit now people out there are saying no don't be a pussy if you see the opening you take it well i like i said if i'm holding somebody up feel free to punt me if i'm not don't take a cheap shot at me from two pike lengths back when you just got into second place it's it, maybe i you know missed a rhythm section or something and i'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't pass and if the opening's there it's just it's hard to explain I, I think you get what i'm saying it's just you don't take a cheap shot at somebody that's going to end up beating you anyhow I don't, I don't like that, but right, right, right. my point, my point didn't get illustrated, unfortunately, because Jason ended up beating him. So clearly Jason was faster. So more go. power to him. So again, back to your question, Jason looks so good. He looked so incredibly good on Saturday night. He, when he puts that bike where he wants it to go and mix those passes, it's the thing of beauty. And he looks like the fastest guy out there. He looks faster than Roxon and Dungey at times to me when he's making those passes, some of the cut downs that he does and the way he sets people up is just like jaw dropping to me. Seeley, on the other hand, is fast in his own way, but when you look at his lap times, he's just steady Eddie. He's like a second or a half a second off of those guys, off the leaders, but he does it all twenty laps or all twenty four laps. And he does yeah. it in qualifying and he does one. it in the heat race. He never fluctuates. He's like a you know, just like a Larocco, steady Eddie. He doesn't have any flashes of brilliance like an Anderson or those guys, but he's more like a Dungey, I guess. So I don't know who, which one of those two. Probably I'd have to say Anderson looks to be the fastest of the two right now. And, definitely. And, well, uh, he's, he's sitting yeah. fourth in points, so he's definitely putting himself in position to be that next guy. Uh, but, yes, Seeley has just combined two really quiet nights into uh, quietly just uh, just sitting on the outside of that top five, tied in points with Eli yeah, Tomac. Just, he's right there. Yeah, exactly. Just... Yeah, just put fourth or fifth in points, whatever he is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, out of this field, that's not too shabby. No doubt. Um, uh, before I let you go, my friend, uh, give me a prediction for uh, for Anaheim two four fifties. Four fifties. All right, let's go. Uh, I'm going to have to stick with the obvious. I want to put Tomek up there just because I think he's going to get it figured out. So I'm going to go. Dungey, Tomac, Roxon. And the only Dungy, way that's Tomac, probably going to happen is, and it's not like I'm wishing bad luck on him, but I, presumably the only way that happens is if Roxon has something go wrong or a bad starter crash, God forbid. So I'm not wishing bad luck on him, but 
I don't think you can get those results just straight up. Maybe, maybe Tom Agnew just beat him straight up, but I doubt it. Um, so yeah, I'll go as long as I'm going hairball in the two fifties. I might as well go all in <laughs> and say uh, say those three. I guess you know it's the same, essentially the same three. So I'm not going too far out on the limb and saying Josh Grant's going to win or something. But uh, you know, picking Dungey to beat Roxon finally and uh, Tomac to get up there and beat him too. I guess it's kind of a little bit out on the limb. Fair enough. By the way, speaking of upsets and Mm. and statements, I got to give props to another young kid that I like. I don't know him too well, but I also worked with him at Liad and kind of got to know him and huge fan. I talked to him here in Colorado Springs last year at the Arena Cross and told him he could do this. And I don't think he believed me. I don't know if he believed himself, but I was like, dude, you could win this thing. You you got it. The way he was riding in Germany and stuff. Jace Owen, what a freaking stud, dude. One, 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 two weeks in a row. Unbelievable. It gives me Making goosebumps. Making it look easy in, the, in the, the fist fight that is uh, the Arena Cross series. Unbelievable. Against some super stacked talent as well. For him to go out there, he's number five. So he's a top guy. He won a couple of mains last year, but he's not the guy by any stretch. It would be like Seeley or Anderson just stomping everybody in the first four main events. That's what totally. he's doing. Yeah, and, and uh, but I, he did actually come out of amateurs with some some clout. Like he, he I don't I don't know exactly who he graduated with, but the guy shows speed. He's had some injuries there right out right as he came out of amateurs. He's riding for that uh, tie loop team coming out of amateurs. I think that's who he's still riding yeah. right now, right? That was the problem. He came out and sort of missed the cut on the the A rides, if you will, and yeah. had to kind of privateer it or do on the semi privateer teams. And he, you're right, he was a top three four amateur guy but then didn't make the cut with like Bashelli and some of those guys that got the good rides. Yeah. And, uh, he, he's going the long route and I, I hope he sticks with it cause he's a good kid and he's super fast. And I love watching him ride. And he, he blew my mind at a couple of German races that he did last year. And uh, he's all of a sudden, he, cause he was very unspectacular and unstellar debut in Supercross the last couple of years when he was privateering. I mean, he was barely making mains at times and that's, the kiss of death for a kid like that that has it all in amateurs and is one of the guys doesn't make the cut if you will to get the a ride on mitch or factory connection or star or whatever and and have to go on one of these b teams and then the equipment's not as good and you lose your confidence and you're better making mains and you get hurt and then all of a sudden you're out you're digging ditches for a living well guys like him that stick with it find a way get to the races okay i can't get to the race in Supergrass, so I'll take Arena Cross. Okay, and this guy in Germany is offering me money. Okay, I'll go there. He's doing what he has to do, and if he keeps going the way he's going, if he stomps Arena Cross or just keeps winning or is even in the hunt for the championship at the end, he'll potentially get a look by one of these teams in Supercross next year. And that's where he should be because he's good enough to run with some of these top guys that he ran with as an amateur. Plessinger, Forkner, um, Jeremy Martin, he was right there with those guys as an amateur. So, uh, Makarath, I think, was in his group. I'm trying to remember who else he came out with, but um, A-Rod, who got a ride, and then obviously didn't make much of it, unfortunately. But yep. anyhow, props props to Jason. Loving it. Just can't get enough. Hope he keeps going. Shout, <laughs> uh, uh, a short uh, but sweet shout-out to Jace, Jace Owen there. Um but uh, so, so you went. Uh, that was your. Uh, you gave your podium prediction. I didn't get a chance to give my podium prediction. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's but hear it. Uh, n- n- nevertheless, I'm going to go. Uh, 
Ken Roxon for a third in a row, followed by Ryan Dungey and Jason Anderson. I think Jason Anderson jumps up there. I think uh, um, just by the fact that like he's been knocking on the door long enough that he's he's gonna be able to uh, to make that that position stick. But um, yeah, that, that's that's my certainly wouldn't be a prediction. shocker. Yeah, yeah, no it doubt, would not be a shocker. Yeah. So. Uh, so. That's uh, moving on to uh, Anaheim too. Uh, hopefully, uh, it's going to be a hard base. Um, you worked with some teams over the years. Uh, what are some of the uh, the struggles or the challenges that are presented with a with a stadium that's uh, that's seen not only a Supercross but a, a Monster Jam since uh, since these guys last rode it? <laughs> I can tell you the biggest one is when you're on track walk and you find a freaking turn channel or bumper or something of <laughs> cars that got smashed or car part or tie rod or something. We've literally done that. And that's, that's no joke. I mean, uh, it's not a serious issue. I'm not saying those guys don't know what they're doing to clean this place up, but we have literally found car parts in the dirt the next week. That's um, yeah. The, the other thing on a serious note, I mean, again, that's half joke and half serious, but it has happened on a serious note. It, it tends to wear the dirt down. Uh, those guys, um, it, it's more hard packed and dry and slick for those guys than it is for us. It doesn't need to be prepped as good. So the dirt, you know, these days it's a science. The dirt works guys know what they're doing, but inevitably, you know, dirt has a lifespan. You beat on it enough. It's going to get drier and drier and drier. They reinvest in the piles of dirt every, I'm probably talking out above my pay grade here, but every five or 10 years, I know it every used to be six years. Six years. So there you go. I mean, it's, uh, they used to hold on to the same dirt for year after year after year after year and, you know, pay to store in a uh, parking lot somewhere, depending on the venue. Um, but it, you could tell certain stadiums, certain locations, the dirt was just getting hammered. And it, a lot of times was from side events like that, that they used the dirt for. So, uh, like I said, these days they've got so much money invested and so much technology and so many, they've learned so much over the years if you notice, the East Coast dirt doesn't get nearly as rutted as it used to. It used to be a clear difference. East was ruts, West was dry, hard pack. Now, uh, some of the East Coast tracks are dry, hard pack. We grew with Anaheim at times, and even even Anaheim can get ruddy, as you saw, with the uh, moisture that we have. They, they've got a pretty good handle on the dirt situation these days, so I guess that would be the only thing. There you go, man. Well, uh yep. Expert analysis, as always. Really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, Paul, and giving your two cents. You bet. Um, these, these are always interesting for fans to listen to. And uh, for those who have any feedback, please do so uh, on for with you can get through reach me through social media at Brad Gebhardt eighty eight on Instagram, as well as at uh, Brad GMX ninety five on Twitter. Uh, can Can you be reached at all, uh, Paul? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm not a big Twitter, uh, shorty set up my Twitter thing, but I never use it. I think it's, uh, Paul Lindsay 937, but I never check it. So Fair direct enough. all your hate email to Brad and then he can tell me how bad right. I did and we'll go from there. Yeah. Sounds Again, good, but no, I guess in all seriousness, I'm on Facebook if anybody has any comments. So just Paul Lindsay. Cool, man. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to, to check in with you again next week. Uh, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. Sounds good. Thanks, Brett.